Welcome to the Paru Zings, Appraisers on Purpose podcast. This podcast showcases inspiring appraisers and professionals from the industry who are leaders in their field. How did they get to where they are? What have they learned along the way? And what do they do now for their teams, their clients, and the industry? Your host is real estate investor, entrepreneur, and appraiser, Michael Hobbs. Once again, it's always exciting to have the opportunity to sit with another industry professional on our podcast, Parusings, The Power of Values, and just learn how did you get here? What twists and turns were on the way? What has been your most memorable experiences? And you know what do you see for yourself in the future? So today, it's our honor to have Patrick Brown with us, longtime real estate professional, a very engaging and very involved individual. It's not for me to tell his story, so let's just jump right in. Pat, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Great to be here. Appreciate you having me on. Oh, man, it's a pleasure. It's definitely a pleasure. So what part of the great expanse that USPAP covers, where in the world do you sit today? So I'm in Overland Park, Kansas, which is a suburb to the southwest of the Kansas City metro, of course, on the Kansas side. As you know, we, we straddle the state line, so it's commonly a question of are we Kansas or Missouri, but yeah, we're in Kansas. Got it. The whole Kansas City, Kansas, Kansas City, Missouri is what you're talking about. That's right. That's I right. I got it. I got it. Fantastic. So how long have you been in or around the profession of uh, valuation and real estate? Yeah. So I've been a real estate appraiser, which was my foray into the real estate business for just about 20 years now. Holy cow. I don't know if you're old or young in this profession, but congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely phenomenal. How'd you get exposed to it? Were you someone who had some friends or family or did you as Bugs Bunny might say, take a wrong turn at Albuquerque? Like, what happened? Yeah, yeah it might be more in line with Bugs Bunny. So yeah, <laughs> no, my wife and I were buying our first house, actually on the Missouri side, in a little neighborhood called Waldo. As part of that process, we were taking out a mortgage loan, and the, the lender sent their appraiser out back in the day when lenders still had a lot of direct contact with their appraisers and close relationships. I was intrigued by what the appraiser was doing at a point in my job at that time where I was looking for a change. And so he and I struck up a relationship and met a handful of times. And I've learned about what he did and what it took to become an appraiser. And there was good chemistry there. So we started working together and I became an apprentice under that individual. Oh, wow. That is absolutely fascinating. And what in particular, as you mentioned, you and your wife were buying your first home. And there was some amount of interaction. What in particular caught your attention? Was it uh, how well they dressed or the way they carried a bunch of stuff with them or you were just enamored with a clipboard? I mean, what what was it back then 20 some years ago? Oh, yeah, no, it was totally the clipboard and 100 foot fiberglass tape. Oh, my Uh, gosh. I mean, is if you can just define sexy back 20 years ago, isn't that it? Yeah, no, (laughs) you know, I it kind of evolved over the discussions that we had. Again, I was looking for something different. I was looking for an opportunity to be able to do my own thing eventually. And the mix, the analysis of appraising and client interactions, being in the field, not, not always tied to a desk, but not always behind the steering wheel. It just seemed like a good mix of work. I was interested in, in really every aspect of what he was dealing with. So Fascinating. And with that interest... Was it one, as you said, you were taking some time getting to know this individual over a period of time? Did you come to decide that this industry might be one you're interested in? Or was it something you kind of were doing part-time or moonlighting to get some exposure to it? 
How did you go from where you were to where you got to? Yeah, no, it was the hard cut over. So he and I, like I said, met a few times and he decided he would probably enjoy working with me. Of course, likewise, I would, I, I figured I would enjoy working with him. And so we hit the point where it was time to putt or get off the green. And, and so, no, I, I just, I decided that I was going to go ahead and leave my other job and I see. join him. It was a little bit dicey because part of the deal was I had to go win my own clients. Oh, so doing, I had a sales background. Okay. Yeah. And so making those cold calls, walking into the offices of mortgage brokers and local banks wasn't intimidating. I was comfortable with doing that. So that's how so unlike many people, it sounds like you actually were comfortable just reaching out to strangers, if you will, the whole process of sales and creating something. Was your background, you said you were in sales actually before you got involved in the appraisal profession? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. I was selling payroll services and HR software. I did that for several years. Oh my goodness. Well, you were completely accustomed to walking into a mortgage broker's office then, because I mean, that is depending on which of the firms in the payroll industry you may have been working for. That's about as close to cold calling as it gets. Indeed. Wow. And to come across that you're both experience and comfort with an opportunity that was presented to you was ultimately successful. I don't know that all individuals that consider a career in the profession are fired up about doing marketing or outreach, sales, if you will, or business development. But that really seemed to be a good fit for you. Yeah, it was. The client interaction piece, you know, fast forwarding a little bit into my appraisal career, the client and borrower interaction pieces of the equation were always my favorite. I enjoyed that the most, the, you know, learning the analysis, learning how to perform the analysis and write an appraisal that made sense and that was supported. I enjoyed that too. But but by far the interaction with the individuals was top priority. I totally hear that. And you mentioned that your interest was not only about learning and growing, but also creating an opportunity for you in the future. So how long did you have the opportunity to work with that individual? And did it, did you stay there or did over time new opportunities or new paths show up for you? Yeah. So he and I worked together for about two and a half years. I was able to accumulate the hours, take the courses. At that point in time, they were all in-person courses. I was able to meet all those requirements, took the tests, and got my license in Missouri first, and then reciprocated into Kansas. And at that point in time, I went ahead and hung my own shingles. So, And that was oh, wow. in 2000, man, I want to say it was early 2007. So an interesting Fantastic time. Yeah. At then, I mean, you know, if we, for those of us that were around then, 2007, looking out at the world, it was pretty rosy, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. It was. And I didn't have the experience under my belt to see the train coming down the tracks. Mm -hmm. And which way was that train coming? Yes. Yeah. Straight at me. <laughs> head on, baby. So yeah. how did that go? How did that head on experience go from, say, 2007 and then the next couple of years? Well, 2007 was fabulous. I took a lot of my clients with me, which he and I, my former supervisor and I had agreed on and, and we parted ways on good terms. So I took my clients with me, started my business and it went great. It Fantastic. went really great. But 2008 comes along and a couple of my biggest clients went out of business. The rest yep. of them, their volume dried up. It was interesting times. I mean, to tell you the yes. truth, we, we were figuring out how we were going to pay the bills some months, but we figured it out and it worked out. You know, and one thing I... I believe I heard in what you were sharing is that you uh, took a professional approach with uh, the gentleman you were working with, who was both a uh, mentor and supervisor, mm -hmm. by having the conversation, not 
after the fact, but in advance saying, hey, I'm, I'm here, I'm learning, I'm growing, and my future may well go in a different direction. And when it does, let's set it up for success, not for flame out or burnout. Sometimes yeah. that happens to others is what I think I heard you say. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, it's like any business, it's about relationships. And, and we've got to steward those carefully and you know, ultimately treat folks the way we would want them to treat us if we were in their situation. So I appreciate that. And I, I will make a bold assumption that because you're still here today, that somehow you found a way through the Great Recession, the 2008 and the 2009 yeah. time period. What happened through that whole uh, tumultuous period for you? So I, a couple things. First of all, business dried up. And so I had to get creative. You know, I was, I was taking side jobs, doing other work aside from appraising just for a while. And I also hit the point where I realized very quickly I had come to the end of my own knowledge and expertise as a great. I see. And, and I wasn't very content with that. And it, and it was, and I really had one foot in, one foot out of appraising, considering mm-hmm. doing other things. And it, for whatever reason, I, I hit the point where I, was, where I realized I needed to commit, fully commit to being an appraiser, commit to learning more and developing my own skills and craft in conversations with just other people I knew, friends, family, a family member said, hey, I happen to know another appraiser. He's very professional as far as he knew and is, was a good appraiser, had a good reputation. And he's looking for somebody to come join his company. And so that individual and I, a guy named Mark Masker, who's got his SRA and MAI and certified general appraiser. He was looking to bring on somebody on his team to help run the residential side of his business. And so I saw that as an opportunity to, to pursue a little bit of stability when it came to income and probably more importantly, learn a lot more about how to be a good appraiser. So I reached out to Mark. He and I struck up a deal and started working together. And it was a great opportunity. Yeah, the guy's a phenomenal appraiser, really knows his stuff. And so I learned a lot from him. And, and that was kind of my inspiration to go on and become designated with the Appraisal Institute as well. And, and so. Oh, I see. So you, uh, to your credit, which I don't know that everyone always gets to that point, but you looked at it and said, what I heard you say is that there's more to learn. And where I'm at right now, my path, solo, if you will, isn't necessarily going to get me there. And just being open-minded and in conversation with others and using the, you know, the power of people, just connecting with them and kind of sharing what you're up to and asking what they're up to. You struck up an opportunity to join someone who had an existing firm and it opened up the door for you to not only uh, learn more, but I hear you invested in yourself and your education, which is always one of the best things to do, in my opinion, is invest in yourself and your education to become more capable, more competent, and ultimately serve more clients. And you did that through designation and, and through more complex assignments. Yeah, absolutely. And with that company, we had, it was more of a staff appraiser model. And so we had a handful of trainees. I took on some of those trainees as my own. There was back office support. So I got to see kind of another side of the business as opposed to just being the person that does everything. You know how it is. And that's how a lot of appraisers operate. And it works. I will dare say that the staff appraiser model works just a little bit better. And for a number of reasons, you know, you've got the back office support so you can focus on appraising and you can focus on those client relationships. Mm -hmm. You've got multiple eyes on every assignment and that helps reduce just, you know, some of the silly mistakes and errors that can take place when you're the one, only one looking at your own work. So there was a lot to learn there and, and it was a great experience. That's fantastic. And 
I do recall you mentioned that that individual, Mr. Masker, had presence in both a residential and commercial from an experience standpoint. Um, how did that go for you? Did you stay in residential or did you migrate over into commercial or did you decide, hey, I don't want to be in the field anymore? Like what came next? So I stayed in residential. He and I worked together for uh, for a couple of years and then just, and again, he and I parted ways on good terms, but there were just circumstances at play and it was just the time to move on. And so I joined, went to work for RELS for a short time as one of their field appraisers on staff with RELS and did that for about nine months. And then I, again, all through relationships. I mean, there's- of course. There's a common theme with every, every with with all of this, and that and that relationships are paramount. And so, through another relationship, I found out about Value Trust Solutions, which is where I currently work. And so, I pursued that opportunity. They were looking for a basically an appraisal reviewer. And so, I oh no, an appraisal reviewer. That means you'd have to leave the field, give up the pack the morning uh, lunch and meal, and and drive about hinterlands to yeah. find hidden properties. That's right. 30,000 miles on the car every year, so on and so forth. But, uh, you make an Uber yeah. driver look like a, oh, like, like just a, a teenager getting started. Oh my goodness. That's impressive. Yeah. So you move over yeah. into the review opportunity and change to a new employer. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, I went to Value Trust Solutions, which is an appraisal management firm and went on and joined the company as a review appraiser, worked in that function for a couple of years. And again, I was intrigued to see another side of the business. And I, I was curious to understand what the appraisal management side was like. I'd worked with some appraisal management companies as a fee appraiser, as a field appraiser. And I didn't really have any misgivings with AMCs. Wasn't always thrilled about the fees, but otherwise I knew they played a role. I joined that company in the review function, did that for a couple of years, and then was promoted into chief appraiser role and had that position ever since. And I've been with Value Trust now for about eight and a half years. Oh, wow. So a larger portion of your working years in the profession have been with this one employer. That's right. And how was it for you? It's something many people in the industry have no experience with, and I don't either. When you get to work for a firm, in this case, you mentioned it's a, an AMC, and you're on, as they would say, that side of the industry, as opposed to 30,000 miles a year in your car, fast food and uh, packed lunches kind of thing. What are the different experiences and exposures that you gain? that someone who might be out driving around, you know, the KC area does not get to experience? Great question. There's a lot there, quite honestly. It's not as AMCs are, are portrayed in a number of different lights, and you don't have to look too far to see what some of the common sentiments are about them. What I've seen is value trust solutions, and I suspect a lot of AMCs are similar. It's a place where people go to work. It's a job that people have. A lot of employees who care about the work they do, they care about their coworkers, they care about their clients and their vendors, and they take pride in the work they do. And so I approached the job, especially as chief appraiser and having oversight of several teams within Value Trust Solutions. It's an opportunity to, A, provide a place for people to work and take care of them and invest in them. It's an opportunity to have clients and express to those clients that we care as much about their deal as they do. And that's important because if our clients think that we're even approaching the territory of indifferent about whether or not the loan closes or whether or not it closes on time, whether or not they have an appraisal that's workable, then that's going to be problematic on a number of different levels. It's going to leave us open to losing customers. And then from the vendor perspective, I take that extremely seriously too. Like I actually do care what our vendors think about us. And I want to make sure we've got a, a situation that 
works well for them and works well for us, that we're fair when it comes to fees and fair when it comes to expectations of how quickly we'll have that appraisal back. And then we're here as a resource. We've got several appraisers on staff, of course, including myself. And so we really do work to make sure we're a resource for our vendors so that when they have questions or run into problems, maybe they get a complaint filed against them with a state regulatory board and the borrower is the one that filed the complaint or whoever it is. We work with them to make sure we can support them as much as possible. If they've got questions with complex appraisal assignments, then we really work to try to get answers to those questions that are in alignment, of course, with GSC or agency requirements. But it's, again, it all, it goes back to the relationships and making sure we're being good stewards of those relationships and making sure I'm being a good steward of, of the job that I have. So. No, I definitely hear that. I appreciate you sharing that perspective, Pat. So for someone who hasn't worked at, in the side of the business that you're in, you mentioned you started out as a reviewer. What were some of the opportunities that ultimately led to you ascending to the position that you have now? I took it upon myself to work on, if, if I saw gaps in knowledge with our staff, or things they may not understand when it comes to the appraiser's perspective, like here's why the appraiser did that. Here's what USPAP has to say about it. Here's what maybe state statute has to say about it, or the GSEs have to say about it, because I was pretty well versed in, you know, the Fannie Mae selling guide and the HUD handbook. Then I would take those opportunities just to educate the entire staff through an email to everybody like, hey, here's why zoning is important. And if an appraiser calls and says that the property doesn't conform to zoning, it's actually a big deal, and, and this is why. Or if if the appraiser checks the no box for highest and yes, highest and best, here's why that's a big deal, and, and here's what the appraiser needs to do to, to really elaborate on that and bring it home so that it makes sense for the client. Uh, and I did the same thing with clients, and, and so I just took my job there as an opportunity to try to add value to the company. What led yeah. down the path of being able uh, or being considered for promotion? Got it. I mean, from an employer standpoint, you know, those who do and can contribute more many times are the ones that are also looked to for additional opportunities because they can both continue to influence others as well as, uh, you know, support that type of growth. And clearly just in, in the short time together, easily hear your both comfort with people and your desire to have a, a positive impact and to learn along the way in an increasing capacity, as opposed to sometimes, and I'm not saying you've ever met those people in this profession, but sometimes we might've come across individuals who learned what they learned and there's nothing more to learn. Um, (laughs) And that can be a frustrating experience. I'm not saying anyone has that in their, them in their household or someone in their own relationship with, maybe even in the profession with, but when, as we say uh, in the South where I'm from, when you're green, you're growing. And when you're ripe, you're rot. So, you know, keeping that greenness there, that, uh, that sense of learning and growing, I, I definitely hear that in what you're sharing. What was it like moving from more of a staff position into a role where you actually had oversight for, you said you have ascended to the role of the chief appraiser there. That's a lot of responsibility. What is now encompassed in all of your responsibilities compared to when you were maybe a reviewer or even a higher level staff position overseeing? activity in the firm. Yes. So now in the role of chief appraiser and also vice president of QA for our company, I oversee several teams. Of course, the review team being one of them. And the other teams are the teams that work with the appraisal order from the time the appraiser accepts the assignment until the time they upload the appraisal. And then the review team takes it from there. 
and handles the order post upload. So those are those are the teams I oversee. You know, it's been, it was interesting, especially when I was first promoted, because I was managing people that were older than me, smarter than me, that were very good at their jobs. And so it was kind of it was awkward and, and humbling, I guess, to, for instance, have staff reviews, have an annual review with somebody who's been doing this longer. And at least the way I saw it was a more intelligent individual than myself. But I took it seriously anyways. And I've always really tried to put the emphasis on my, on my team members' knowledge. Like nobody knows how to do their job better than they do. I'm not going to come in and, and tell somebody who's doing whatever it is every day how to do their everyday job better. My objective has been to make sure I find out what they need to do their job better, work on acquiring those technology enhancements or tools, whatever it might be. And then giving them those tools and then getting out of their way so they can do their work. And that's, that's been my approach to my teams. And from the role of chief appraiser, not many of those roles exist across the industry, across here and in the United States. What's that experience life like where you're moving out of, say, a particular geographic market or reviewing, say, several markets or several styles or types of reports to now you have the word chief in yeah. front of your title. Uh, share some perspective from that view that so many of us don't have. It's interesting because I get the opportunity to be a part of industry groups and go to conferences around the country and hear from the GSEs, hear from representatives from HUD and from the VA and other individuals from companies like ours, but that are, that are much larger. CoreLogic, of course, has a presence or ICE now and, and others. And so we get to hear what's coming down the pike. I get to hear that and then disseminate that out to our staff, to appraisers who call in. But the reality is when in this role, I get viewed as a subject matter expert on appraising as I should be like that's, that kind of is a given. And so the perspective that changes is now like we, I get phone calls from clients, phone calls from, from appraisers of, Hey, what do we need to do with this situation? How can we handle that? And sometimes I have to step in and say, no, we can't jam that square peg into that round hole. That property is legitimately a commercial property. It's not going to, the appraiser cannot call it residential and appraise it as such. You know, there's oftentimes where as chief appraiser, it's kind of mediator, a mediator's role. It's always a challenge. And that's a good thing. Like, I like that. That's not a bad thing. It's a situation where I've got a client on one side and I'm trying to help them get what they need. And I don't mean from a value perspective. I mean, from usable appraisal in a timely manner that they can use to make a good collateral collateral decision with. And on the other side, I've got an appraiser who's wanting to work as efficiently and quickly as possible without a lot of distractions to get us an appraisal that allows them to not spend a burdensome amount of time making QC revisions and, and dealing with all these, what, what could be annoying issues. It's a matter of bringing two parties together that have different priorities and doing so in a way that's hopefully edifying to everybody. That's a hopeful pursuit. Sometimes it's actually achieved, isn't it? Every once in a while. <laughs> Every once in a while. Every, Every once, once in a while. Well, obviously, at this point in time in history, we're, we're experiencing a lot of different things, both from an economic standpoint. We're experiencing seasonality and cyclicality. We're also experiencing why I would call it stages of industry development or, you know, all businesses and all industries go through different stages, like all those different things are going on. But I guess what would be most intriguing maybe to start with, Pat, is what are you most excited about for the next, say, three, five, even 10 years? Great question, man. 
I am excited about some of the changes I see taking place in the industry. Some of them are are still in such a stage of infancy that I'm not, we'll, we'll wait and see. What I'm excited about is to see staff appraiser models coming back. Yeah. We've seen, we've got, a, we've got a handful of companies that we work with, that we engage as an AMC that have the staff appraiser model. I'm thrilled to see that coming back because I think that's been a missing element. I think appraisers who have, who have worked by themselves, for themselves forever, while they do know a lot and they are experts in their markets and they know what they're doing, there's so much to be gained when there's collective expertise and different perspectives, different opinions on how to address this, that, or the other. I mean, because in reality, USPAP has a handful of hard do's and hard do nots. But otherwise, there's a lot of room for interpretation on how to do A, B, and C, whatever it might be. And so that's where the staff appraiser model, I think, comes in and is is really a credit to the industry and helps appraisers be better appraisers. So I'm excited to see that coming. And I'm looking forward to seeing how that pans out and whether or not that has any impact on the way, for instance, appraisal modernization goes with Fannie Mae and some of the other initiatives to bring in, bring non-appraisers into the equation of the appraisal process. I wonder if the staff appraisal model can or will offset some of that or won't. I don't know. We'll see. Time will tell. If there's one thing we know for sure, change is inevitable. Sometimes we're at the effect of it. Sometimes we can drive it. Yeah, that is definitely, definitely a factor. So looking back, you know, given the experiences you've had being someone who had been in a different industry, have been in different segments of the industry, are there any roles or responsibilities, either with your current employer or just in the industry in general, that you haven't had that you would still like to have, given that you are approximately 20 years in and, you know, who knows, you may have another 10 or 20 more or however long you choose? Great question. Additional roles and responsibilities. That one's actually stumped me. I'm not entirely sure at the moment. I've been involved on the on the real estate sales side as well. I was a licensed realtor for a while and I let my license lapse because I just didn't have the time to pursue that. You know, I think the or my current role and the responsibilities that come along with that will change, I believe, as the industry changes to the extent that we'll have to adopt new methodologies, new technologies, new ways of doing things. And so I don't view what I do as, as a static thing necessarily. So as far as roles in the industry, quite honestly, I enjoy, I tremendously enjoy what I do. So I'm not necessarily, I'm not looking for a change there or anything like that. And so my challenge to myself, quite honestly, is to continue to figure out how to grow and develop and, and make sure that we as a company grow and evolve with the way things are changing and the direction the industry is going, which trying to read the tea leaves, and that's pretty tough to know where exactly it's going to go, but that's what I'm working on. Totally get it. Love and appreciate it. So one of the things we hope through this conversation is that individuals who might never have the opportunity to one, know you, or two, get time with you, can at least learn from your own life experience so that they can apply it for themselves. You know, about 20 years in this industry, some time in another industry before that, you've already shared some nuggets of wisdom about your experience in the industry and and how you've had success that's built on each built upon itself anything else come to mind that you would be like wow if maybe a relative or a talented person maybe in another industry right now was considering valuation and appraisal that you'd want to share with them to consider like why they should consider it and as importantly maybe some top two or three things to take on to accelerate their likelihood of success 
yeah, I would still recommend the appraisal business to anybody who's remotely interested in it. It's a great way to, it's a great way to make a living. It's a good, especially as a sole practitioner, if you're with a small firm, it's a good lifestyle business. I would recommend that anybody getting into it, if they don't go down the path of joining a firm where they're going to be working with other, with a litany of other appraisers, then they, well, it's not really either or. Anybody getting into the appraisal business ought to take very seriously their education. And it it shouldn't stop at just the basic licensing courses. I'll tell you that through taking the SRA coursework, which is the designation I have through the Appraisal Institute, I learned more in those classes than I did in all of my QE. And that's not a slam on the QE. That's a credit to the quality and and detailed nature of AI's education, appraisal institute's education. So, and your um, experience. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. take those courses right early on in the industry. That's You've right. been around the industry for some amount of time. So, the information that you gathered, I, I'm taking in from what you're sharing, is because you'd been in for a while. You'd seen different things, you'd been exposed to different things. Now you're coming in at a higher level of education content intersecting with it, you're at a higher level as well. And that one plus one equals three, not one plus one. Oh my gosh, I hope to get the two and pass the exam so I can get my starter license kind of experience. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Even as I was going through the SRA courses and thinking back about the way I had done things in the past, it was just like, what a blunder. I mean, and it's probably, that's probably overblowing it, but I, I've never heard an appraiser that didn't say that when they look back on the way they did things at some point in the past, they kind of scratched their head a little bit. Because, you know, time will teach you things. And I think I would just encourage anybody, and it doesn't matter whether it's appraising or anything else, just, you know, you're always a student, always be a student. There's always something to learn and then work on. And for somebody coming into the appraisal business, surround yourself with people who are more experienced and smarter than you are. Any, and now granted, I'm going to make an assumption, but I don't think it's too much of a stretch. Because of the role you're in, you naturally have access to a lot more people than maybe someone else who might be in, you know, Topeka, Kansas, or even there in Kansas City, how might you encourage them to not be isolated? Because that's what I really hear you sharing about is, is get out beyond whatever one, maybe your comfort level is, and two, what your current community is to open and expand your both options as well as possibilities. And I heard you say early on, your opportunity to contribute as well. Yeah, you bet. So, and that's, that's a great question. And, you know, for, and this is not necessarily meant to be an advertisement for Appraisal Institute, but Appraisal Institute does work, and they're even more so now working on engaging residential appraisers, creating opportunities for them to connect, do things, even if it's just social outings. But I would recommend involved getting engaged with, with Appraisal Institute. There's opportunities there to be around other appraisers. Of course, there's, there's opportunities to get involved with the state regulatory board where you can be around other appraisers. It's a volunteer opportunity, but it's an opportunity to give back and be around other appraisers. And then other than that, it's it's an intentional effort. It's like anything in life. You got to intentionally pursue those relationships, especially if you're a sole practitioner, then you've got to pursue other appraisers and then invite them out for a cup of coffee and buy them a cup of coffee and and learn from them and ask questions and, and just be ready to take in the information. So I wish there were more, there was more structure around that. Michael, I wish there was there were more opportunities. You know what I mean? Like I totally get it. I wish there was. And in Kansas City, the local chapter mm-hmm. has worked on having pre-COVID, we had a handful of what we call residential roundtables where we'd have a guest speaker come in, a resident residential appraisers. That's what it was geared towards. Mm-hmm. And residential appraisers would come, break some bread over lunchtime, hear a speaker, and get to talk for a little while. 
and we're going to start those back up again. But, and I know that there are other AI chapters that do that as well. Got it. I definitely hear that. I definitely see that. I know one of the challenges, of course, is there was a thing called life pre-COVID. <laughs> Some people have a hard time remembering that far back. I've heard, seen it a little bit myself, but heard as well. Sometimes it's even a little difficult to try and re-engage people in a manner as they did before COVID, now that COVID has gotten here and kind of where I have the lingering effects. You know, it's, I don't think people have cooties. It is actually a good thing to get together. I, I think there's a lot of value that comes from the creativity, spontaneity, and ingenuity when people just get together and not in a way necessarily that technology has bridged yet. Like you said, get together at a residential roundtable, get together with peers. Maybe they do something different. Or, you know, you mentioning the gentleman you went to work with that was in both commercial and residential from a business and an experience standpoint, just to learn and be exposed to possibilities. Well, there's that and absolutely. And there has been, I think there's a strong desire for getting back to what life was like for a lot of people pre-COVID and maybe we'll never get completely back to that. But I'll tell you, there's an organization called Collateral Risk Network that appraisers should look into because- And what kind of network is that? Collateral. I actually do. I do know what CRN is, but yes. I, I don't think most people do know. They've maybe seen the, le the letters here or there, or be part of a different communication, maybe on a newsletter they're a part of, but they may not know anyone that's associated with it. What is CRN? What are the type of individuals that join CRN? All manner of individuals. Of course, real estate related, but there are appraisers and a lot of appraisers attend what they have every year in Vegas, which is called the Valuation Expo. And it's a phenomenal event to get CE credits knocked out to meet a lot of other okay. appraisers from all over the country, to meet service providers for our industry, whether those I are see. AMCs or technology providers like ACI and All Mode, for instance, yes. uh, QB Casa, Proxy Picks, to name a few. There, but it's a great opportunity to go get your continuing ed knocked out, meet other appraisers, see what's going on in the industry. Because that's Got that's it. a thing when you're working by yourself for yourself, you just don't you don't necessarily have this up and out perspective. It's mostly down and in, focused on the business, writing appraisals. And so taking a little break to go attend Evaluation Expo is a good opportunity to just get exposure to other parts of the industry and other, other players in the business. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that, Pat. Here's just a, maybe a couple of questions to begin to wrap up. One, are there any particular sources of information or people that uh, you look to or kind of follow just to keep pace with what's going on maybe in the world, in the economy, in the industry? Might there be any, any sources like that that you know, get your attention at least once every maybe a couple of days or a couple of weeks or once a month or so? Or do you just like, no, I just kind of just stay inside my little zone as <laughs> no. you know, vice president and chief appraiser over here? I try to not to stay inside my own, my little zone. Um, okay. it's, easy, it's easy for the momentum to take me there. So no, I pay attention to, and you can sign up for them on the various websites, but Fannie Mae, mm -hmm. FHA, FHFA have newsletters that go out and you can okay. sign up for those and receive those. Uh, and in fact, I saw just today, FHFA release UAD data from all the information they've collected on appraisals since UAD was a thing. And you can see a lot of pretty interesting trend information Got it. On, on those just high level information from those that they gleaned from those appraisals. Fascinating. And yeah. So paying attention to what the GSEs and FHA are doing, the appraisal subcommittee is a good place to go to. They have regular meetings that anybody can, can participate in and 
and be a spectator. And then, of course, through Collateral Risk Network and Valuation Expo and attending that, there's no shortage of information out there. It's, it's really a matter of looking for it and figuring out how to partake in it. So, but yeah, those are all good opportunities. LinkedIn's got a lot of, lot of good sure. information from got it. lenders and AMCs, tech providers. Yeah. And given that a number of people that will have an opportunity to listen in and, and really take some of their own learnings away from this conversation, if they're not uh, fully engaged in the profession or they're in a different profession and considering, hey, maybe valuation, maybe real estate appraisal might be something of interest to me. From your standpoint, what was it about this profession or these different level of involvements and exposures that really not only piqued your interest, but has kept your interest now spanning almost 20 years? I think part of what's kept my interest is being able to work in various aspects of the industry, from being a trainee to having my own appraisal business to working in an appraisal firm and now with an appraisal management company where I get exposure to a lot of different aspects of our business. But what really grabbed me at first was the opportunity to have that mix of in-office and out-of-office work and the client engagement, which isn't the same now as it was then, admittedly, because back then we, I approached lenders directly to, to win their business. And I used to cater lunches into my clients' offices and, and spend a couple <laughs> hours with them talking. And you mean actually like, actually talk to someone face-to-face? It's crazy, right? You know, Sit down like, and actually <laughs> listen to somebody and not necessarily yeah. just be there with my hand out saying, you got something for me? <laughs> no, I know. And, I, and so that was very, very much a thing. And I love that stuff. I enjoyed that a lot. And so those are kind of the, those are sort of the things that drew me in. Got it. No, I appreciate that. Definitely appreciate that. And I, Hopefully that helps others kind of connect for themselves in a little way or a large way. Wow, this could be something else for them and their future. Because as we have heard and we'll hear from a number more of our peers around this valuation profession, it is a profession. It's not just a job. And I really take away from this conversation with you, Pat, about your investment in yourself, your investment in the industry, and how it has spanned a significant portion of your life. For all foreseeable future, it'll continue to do so because you not only have gained so much from it, but you're able to give to it. It's at uh, both symbiotic and I would say organic growth opportunity, which is really encouraging. And part of the foundation why we kicked off this podcast, because we, we know there's so many stories like this out there and people need to hear them. So we appreciate that. So any thoughts in closing, any last things you'd want people like, if they were like, oh, this is great. I just want you to hear like one or two things or remember one or two things from me, Mr. Patrick Brown. <laughs> well, yeah, I would encourage anybody and everybody just stay hungry and keep learning. This is a challenging time we're in right now. I mean, that's no surprise. We're all, all experiencing it, whether you're the boots on the ground appraiser or the appraisal management company or the appraisal firm or the mortgage loan officer. These are tough times and they will pass. That's what we know. I've, I've been through a couple of these cycles now. You've been through these a couple of these cycles now. Oh, yeah. And so we, we know that this will pass. And so I would encourage in anybody listening, figure out how to make it work and hang on and try to, as much as you can, enjoy having a little bit of extra time on your hands. Because it wasn't that long ago that a lot of us were working six days a week, if not seven days a week, 12-hour days, if not more than that, and free time was non-existent. So take a little solace in knowing that this too will pass. That is true. As anyone will say, if you step back far enough, what looks like 
significant peaks and valleys mm-hmm. suddenly just don't look near as high or near as low. But when you're right at the right at the precipice, boy, it looks daunting. So that's a great words to close with. And just want to say thank you again. Mr. Patrick Brown, both vice president and chief real estate appraiser there at Value Trust. Uh, We are honored and just informed by this and keep up the great work. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pavru Zings, Appraisers on Purpose. We hope you enjoyed learning from the amazing life paths and achievements of our guests. Don't forget to like us on LinkedIn and other podcast channels to hear more from appraisers and valuers regarding their life and their work. If you have any suggestions or questions for future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us a message on LinkedIn and we'll be sure to get back to you. Thanks again for listening. And until we're together again for the next session of Paru Zings, Appraisers on Purpose. Create the change that you seek.